0: Now, uh, if you don't have a Bible or a Bible device with you, then there's these black Bibles on the back table, so feel free to grab one of those. And if you're using one of those, it's page 976. Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. "'Woe to you, Charazin! "'Woe to you, Bethsaida! "'For if the miracles that were performed in you "'had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, "'they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. "'But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon "'on the day of judgment than for you. "'And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens?' No, you will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do.
1: Let's pray. Uh, Lord God and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace and mercy. And Father, we uh, thank you for his call here in Matthew's Gospel. And Father, as we think about it now, as we reflect on these words, we ask that you would help us to understand them, uh, to hear Jesus uh, and to come to him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, There's a handout that you hopefully would have received on the way in uh, on the sermon series with uh, a bit of an overview, the outline of the series, a bit of what growth groups are doing, some Bible study questions that you might like to use yourself uh, as you read through the Bible, read these passages at home later, uh, or read the Bible with your family during the week, uh, and also some resources, some books that you might like to read there, John Chapman's Fresh Start, Paul Grimmman's Right Side Up. Casts and Basics for Believers, and uh, so on. Some of them are on the trolley uh, in the foyer as well that you're welcome to pick up. But we're starting uh, this morning this new series on discipleship. Uh, And as a leadership team, we've been thinking over the last few years uh, about what it means to build a culture of discipleship. Uh, And so what we want to do this morning and for the next few weeks is spend some time digging down deep into what it means to be a a disciple. That's because, as a church, discipleship, as Christians, discipleship ought to be at the heart of what we do. That's not a revolutionary idea. Discipleship is the core of Christianity. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. So we need to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So, over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at, over the next six weeks, we'll be looking at what that means. The heart of discipleship, the cost of discipleship, the goal and the means of discipleship, the context and fruit of discipleship, and the commission of discipleship. And for the first term, the growth groups are going to be thinking about discipleship too. So another reason I think uh, that it'd be great if you can sign up to a growth group, even if it's just for the first term, to commit to thinking through together as a church, as a body of believers, as a community of people, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a disciple uh, of Jesus? So today we're kicking off uh, thinking about the heart of discipleship. Uh, And that's what Jesus talks about in this passage here. Uh, The passage that we read from Matthew 11, Jesus begins by showing us how crucial this call to discipleship really is. So many of us are maybe aware of these words of Jesus in this passage, this call to come to him. They're some of the words that we love to read and to hear, and they're great words of comfort and consolation, but many of us probably overlook the context. What what has Jesus just been saying when he says to people, Come to me? Well, in the words here in this passage, Jesus begins with a severe warning about judgment. So look at verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. So Jesus, before he calls people to come to him, is denouncing people for refusing to turn away from their sin and to acknowledge who he is, that he's God's Messiah. He's been doing these miracles among them, he's been demonstrating to them that he is God come in the flesh, he's God come as the Redeemer and King. But great hordes of people, having seen those miracles of Jesus, have refused to turn away from their lives and to uh, align themselves with Jesus Christ. And so he unleashes this series of woes, this this series of curses. Verse 21, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. Verse 23, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. It's this chilling series of curses that Jesus unleashes on people for refusing to understand, to acknowledge who he is. Jesus wants people to know that discipleship is not a matter of kind of casual indifference, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternal life, eternal death, of eternal destiny. To reject Jesus, to fail to turn to him, means, Jesus says, to consign yourself to hell, to God's eternal judgment. To reject Jesus puts you, he says, in the same camp, or even worse than some of the most wicked people who have ever lived. Right before Jesus offers us this beautiful call to discipleship, he raises the stakes. He says that being his disciples, being one of his followers, is a matter of life and death. We make so many decisions uh, in our life, uh, what to study, you know, what to do after school, what job to get, where to live, who to marry, who not to marry, whether to buy this house, whether to buy this house now, or to wait until the market settles down. Uh, you probably made, you know, 50 decisions before you came to church this morning. What should I wear this morning? I made that decision yesterday. I had to iron my shirt. You probably, you probably made all kinds of... What am I going to eat for breakfast? If you're like me, you don't have to make that decision because you eat the same thing every day. But there are lots of decisions, aren't there, that we make And some of them are more important than others. Some of them are trivial. What am I going to eat? Some of them are important. Who am I going to marry? What what am I going to do for work? What am I going to study at university? Or what trade am I going to take up? But no decision, Jesus says, is more important than this. Will you follow him? Sometimes when we present the gospel to people, the message that they hear is that Jesus is just another option. He's another choice in the smorgasbord of life's options. And he's like, discipleship with Jesus is, is like another thing that you can put on the plate as you as you walk through the, the, the food aisle. But Jesus is not just another option. Following Jesus is a matter of life and death. Following Jesus is the most important decision that anyone can ever make. So... Jesus raises the stakes uh, over what discipleship is about, but then he also, his call is not just a matter of life and death, it's also a call to the weary. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What does Jesus mean when he talks about people who are weary and burdened, who is he referring to? Well, later in Matthew, Jesus speaks to the religious leaders of his day, and he says there about them: they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But these, so, so these religious leaders, the, the, the laws that they were making, the, the rules that they were making up about what it meant to, to follow God, were burdensome and and overwhelming. But these religious leaders had, had created this list that was destroying people. Uh, it was, instead of drawing them closer to God, it wasn't doing anything in terms of their relationship with God, and it was exhausting them. Is that what Jesus is talking about when he welcomes the weary and the heavy laden? Well, undoubtedly Jesus had that in his mind... Uh, that re- this religious system that people had constructed uh, that was kind of working people's uh, way to God. But I think Jesus has more than just that in mind as well. Jesus' call here is more than just a call to people who are worn out by religion. It's a call to people who are tired and worn out by life. People who are tired and worn down by life by life in a world marred by sin, a, a world marred by their own sin, and a world marred by the sin of people around them. Life in that kind of world, life in this world, is exhausting it's the consequence of our rebellion against God and we feel the pain of that and the exhaustion of that day after day. I read a book this week by a guy called David Bennett who came out uh, as gay at the age of 14 and he went on to become a very active gay activist uh, but then he left all that behind at the age of 19 when he had a profound encounter with God. God. But the account, his account of his life before he found Jesus is so sad. Uh, first of all, there was the sadness of, of wrestling with the desires that he found inside himself and the fear of what it would mean if he acknowledged those to the people around him and to the world around him. Uh, second, there was the sadness of being, uh, once he had come out as gay, of being abused and attacked for that but more distressing than that, from his own perspective as well I think more distressing by far was that he had this deep desire for love which he just couldn't satisfy he found the gay community didn't have the answers that he was looking for, he also found that by embracing the desires that lived within him, he it didn't end the war he ended up cheating on his best friend and uh, being left devastated uh, at the person that he was. He writes, since coming out at 14, I had been looking for value in romantic love. I was weary of the search. With what I had done to Michael, his friend, I knew I could never see Samuel again, at least not in this way. My guilt consumed me. All I could think of was that I had got exactly what I thought I wanted and the price was a friend. The ride home in the back of the cab felt like forever. As I watched light rain hit the window, a deep exhaustion came over me, accompanied by suffocating frustration and tears. After countless relationships, some faithful and loving, others broken by unfaithfulness, I was tired. I knew my own weakness My self-made ethics were powerless against the desires of my heart. I was starving for intimacy, and yet no matter the situation or person, I couldn't fulfill my need. His experience is the experience of every person, in many ways, who lives in this world tired, exhausted, suffocated, frustrated, We live in a world torn apart by our rebellion against God and we daily feel the experience of that within us and within the world that we live in. And yet God, in his astonishing mercy, does not hold that against us. The fault is our own. And yet God comes to us, he comes to us in our weariness and our tiredness and our frustration and our suffocation and exhaustion and he says... Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you what no one else can give you. I'll give you what you've been searching for but haven't been able to find. Perhaps as you sit here, you're tired and worn out by life. Perhaps you're worn out by unmet longings, worn out by things you can't live without, uh, worn out by things you think you can't live without, but can never find. Perhaps you're worn out by secret desires, desires that you never asked for, but can't seem to get away from. Maybe you're worn out from trying so hard, from trying so hard to please the people around you, trying so hard to please God, trying so hard just to be accepted, trying so hard to keep up appearances, trying so hard to look happy, even though deep down you're aching in sadness. Maybe you're tired of your job, tired of the relentless grind, tired of having to get up every day and do the same thing, tired of family, tired of children, tired of your parents, tired of the endless cycle of home life, of cooking, cleaning, gardening, cooking, cleaning, gardening, doing everything, and then finding that once you get to the end, you have to do it all over again tomorrow. Maybe you're just tired of being you. Tired of how you look, tired of being average, tired of not succeeding in the things that you put your mind to. Everyone tells you, you can be what you want to be. But you've tried and it doesn't work. Tired of not meeting your own expectations, tired of not meeting the expectations of others, tired of messing up your life, making bad decisions... And tired of reliving them over and over again, day after day. Jesus says to people like that, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus is speaking to you. If you're tired and worn down by life, Jesus is speaking to you. And inviting you to come to him and find rest. But maybe you're not tired, actually. Maybe, in God's grace, you've come to Jesus and you've found that wonderful rest and joy and delight in God. Maybe you've found that. But, you know, there are people who are living around us. There are our friends and our neighbours and our family and our work colleagues. There are millions of people around us who are tired and worn out. And Jesus' invitation is to them as well. And we need to say to them, friend... I know that you're tired, but Jesus invites you to come to him. We need to tell people and offer them that same invitation that we've received to come and find rest in Jesus Christ. So Jesus' call of discipleship is life and death. It's a call, though, to the weary. And yet at its heart, this call of Jesus, this call of discipleship, is a call to him himself, Verse 28, Jesus says, come to me. It's so easy for us to just skip over those words and get to the next bit, to hear those words about rest and, uh, and peace for those who are weary, but we can so easily miss the fact that Jesus' call is to himself. He calls us to come to him. It's not first and foremost a, a call to receive rest and peace. It's a call to find Jesus and a call to find in him everything that we need. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says that Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. All that we need for salvation is found in Jesus Christ. Or in Galatians, Paul says that we, no longer, that we no longer live, but that Christ lives in us. He's everything that we need. He is our life. He's our daily life. Everything that we need can be found in him. And so Jesus says to us, come to me. His call is a call to find our rest in Him. It's a, it's a call to find our standing with God in Him, our forgiveness in Him. It's a call to find our sufficiency in Him and our hope in Him and our life in Him and our joy in him and our destiny in Him and our strength in Him. There are all kinds of things in life uh, that we think that we need, aren't there? You know we make our little bucket list. Of things that we think it would be nice to have. Oh, I would like that new thing, that new appliance for the kitchen, that new uh, tool for the garage, or whatever it is. We have the list of things that we think that we need, and our lists seem to grow every day, don't they? As the catalogues come in the mail, and as we watch the ads on TV, or we see the ads down the side of the the web page, our list of things that we think we need only grows. But Jesus says we don't need to worry about our list because there's only one thing in the world that we need, and that's Jesus. And we don't have to worry about what we bring when we come to Jesus, because there's only one thing that we ever bring when we come to Jesus, and that's our own brokenness and sinfulness. And Jesus is in the business of dealing with broken and sinful people. Jesus' call is a call to come to him and to find in him everything that we need. So Jesus calls, uh, Jesus called a discipleship as a matter of life and death. It's a call to the weary to come to him. But last of all, it's a call to learn. Verse 29, "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" Jesus' call is a call to take up his yoke. It's a call to learn from him. The picture is of the kind of yoke, you know, that you might see on an oxen. uh, They put the the yoke on them in order that they might pull the cart. Uh, The master would put that yoke on them in order to put that ox to work, in order to be able to steer him in the direction that he wanted to go. And Jesus is saying that to be a disciple is to be yoked under Jesus' authority. It's to be under his authority and learning from him and seeking the direction from him that he wants us to go. Disciple literally means learner. To be a disciple is to be a lifelong learner. So to say that we come to Jesus as sinners is not to say that that's where Jesus means for us to stay. Jesus' call uh, is not a call to do nothing. So it might sound like that, come to me and I will give you rest, might sound like the never-ending holiday. You know, some of us have just finished January, December, and we're heading back to work and we're thinking gosh, I'd just like to stay home for another few months. Is that the kind of call that Jesus is calling us to? A kind of a permanent holiday? No, he's he's not calling us to that. He says, come to me. Replace the burden that you can't bear. Replace that with a burden that you can bear, which is wonderful and life-giving and good. His invitation is not just, come and escape hell. Come and be forgiven. That's not Jesus invitation his invitation is come and learn from me give give me your life take my yoke and learn well how can a yoke be burden? Uh, how can a yoke be a light burden uh, i think there's three ways that jesus yoke is a light burden in the first place his yoke is easy and light because uh, as we saw our sufficiency is in him Uh, His yoke comes with power. Implicit in Jesus' call to come to him and learn from him is his commitment to teach us. When we come to him and when we give ourselves to him, to learning from him, he teaches us. And he teaches us in a way that nobody else can I sometimes, some of you might know, I sometimes teach in Melbourne at the Reformed Theological College. I teach theology. They're committed students, generally speaking. They're committed students. They're committed. They're there because they want to learn about God and they want to give their lives to serving God. But do you know what? They don't learn everything that I want to teach them. Partly that's because I'm a bad teacher. You know? I mean, you know, all, none of us can teach everything that we want to teach. There's things to learn. And partly that's, because they don't understand everything. But Jesus, Jesus says that he can teach in a way that nobody else can teach. He can teach in a way so that we understand and so that we can actually do what it is that he's calling us to do. Jesus' call comes with wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, and with power. Jesus doesn't explain here how that works, but we know from the rest of the New Testament it's because when we come to Jesus, the Father and the Son pour out the Holy Spirit on us, uniting us with Jesus, and so the life of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus flows in us, and it enables us to understand what Jesus means and to do what he commands. That means that the life of obedience to Jesus and learning from Jesus has to be a life which is lived close to Jesus. What I mean is we don't come to Jesus and then move on to learning it from Jesus, sort of leaving Jesus behind. We need to be at the feet of Jesus every day. We come to Jesus and learn from him. We stay close to him. We rely on him, we seek him, we love him, we worship him, we delight in him because it's from him that we learn. And it's in him that we can do everything that we've learned. So Jesus' yoke is easy because it comes with power from Christ to do what he teaches us. But also his yoke is easy because when we fail, he forgives us. We try to do what Jesus is teaching us. And often we fail. And yet Jesus, in his grace and his mercy, he picks us up. He forgives us. He sets us on our feet. And he continues to walk with us and to teach us what it is that He what he's calling us to do. Life this side of the return of Jesus is a life in which we struggle to sin, struggle with sin, I should say, and a life in which we often fail. But Jesus' yoke is easy because he forgives us. So perhaps you keep failing to live up to Jesus' command to love others or to love God. Sometimes you do it, and that's encouraging. You have a day where you feel like you've loved people, like you've never loved them before, and you say, praise God, for the first time I've loved people. And then you think, and the next day it's just going to be an onward trajectory upward. And you get to work, and someone hasn't done the dishes, they haven't cleaned up after themselves, there's milk spilled all over the, cafe, the, the kitchen area, and you think, what's going on? And you unleash this ungodly tirade at your work colleagues because you're so frustrated that nobody ever cleans up, and you think, whatever happened to yesterday? What happened to the love? And the grace, and you think, what a terrible witness for Christ that I could live like this. It's so frustrating that Jesus says, don't be greedy, don't love money, don't overindulge. And sometimes you win and you're, and you're disciplined and constrained. And then the next day, you go out, you buy a tub of ice cream, and it's done within a day, maybe two. And you think, whatever happened? Or you say, I, Jesus says, be generous to the needy. And you vow to use your money to serve Christ. And then you end up going out and blowing it all on this jacket that you didn't need in an impulse buying moment. And you think, what's going on? It's so discouraging. And Jesus doesn't want us to be okay with that. Jesus isn't saying, no, it's okay. He's saying, it's not okay. But I forgive you and I'll pick you up, and I'll set you on the right way, and I'll keep teaching you. How often does he do that? He does it as many times as we need. If we're under his yoke, he picks us up, and he picks us up again, and he picks us up again. Jesus isn't calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to learn. He's calling us to a life of genuine discipleship where we come to jesus and we say lord teach me to do your will so jesus yoke is easy it comes with power it comes with forgiveness and grace last of all jesus yoke is easy because his commands are good his commands in themselves are life-giving his commands in themselves are satisfying In fact, it's in learning from Jesus that we find rest. So we think, come to Jesus, we'll get rest, and then we move on to learning. But actually, Jesus says, come to me and you'll find rest in the learning. It's in learning to follow Jesus that we find the rest from our weariness and our heavy laden. The more that we learn from Jesus, the more that we follow him, the more that his commands saturate our lives, the more that we live like him, the more that we'll discover the truth of that, the more we'll discover the rest and the joy in doing the things of God. To go back to David Bennett, who I mentioned before, that's what he found. For years he laboured under this desperate fear that to be celibate uh, as, as someone experiencing same-sex attraction, to be celibate meant to be condemned to a life of emptiness and loneliness. So his great fear in life was he, he didn't want to follow the commands of Jesus. He knew what Jesus was demanding, but he, he didn't want to do it because he was afraid of what that meant. But he found the exact opposite. He found that in giving his life to Jesus, he found the joy and the rest that he never found before he writes god has called me to trust that he knows best and he knows the eternal story he's writing in the meantime he's shown me i can give my same-sex desires to him and find a deeper satisfaction and love in knowing and worshiping him than i ever could through pursuing my desires You see, we look at Jesus' commands and we think that they're too hard and they're too difficult and so we stay away from them. And in doing so, we grind ourselves down because God didn't make us to live like that. But when we come to Jesus and we let him teach us, we discover that learning from Christ is not a burden but a joy because we're living according to the pattern with which God designed us to live. It's important to understand, though, that learning from Jesus is not something that we bring to the table. Jesus is not saying, here's the bar that you need to get over to find rest. He's not saying that if we don't reach a certain mark, that we're not welcome. Rather, learning from Jesus is his invitation That's the invitation of the gospel. So often when we preach the gospel, we say to people that Jesus calls you and he offers you forgiveness and grace. Well, that's true. But Jesus is calling us to more than that. He's inviting us to more than that. He's inviting us to be his students and his learners. He says, come to me and learn. And so that's the question I want to leave us with this morning. Is that the invitation of the gospel that we've accepted? Is the invitation that you've accepted the invitation to take Jesus' yoke and to find in him all that you need and to learn from him and to spend the rest of your life learning and following him? Or is the invitation that you've received... Maybe just the invitation to receive forgiveness, to grab that and to run away and to keep living your own life. If that's the invitation you receive, then you haven't really come to Jesus. Or you might have received the invitation of Jesus to come and learn from him, but you haven't received the invitation to come to him and find in him everything that you need. And so you're still labouring on under these impossible commands that you can't achieve. Jesus' invitation is of one piece. Come to me. Come and learn. And that invitation is not just an invitation for the beginning of the Christian life. It's an invitation for the whole of our Christian lives. So if you've come to Christ, if you've begun that life with Him, that's the same way that we continue. We come to Him every day and we learn from Him. We live every day at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live every day finding our sufficiency in Him. And we live every day drinking deeply of His wisdom and His grace and His mercy. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his mercy and grace. Lord, we thank you for his invitation. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to heed it. Lord, uh, it's a matter of life and death. And so we ask with great earnestness that you would enable each one of us to really come to Christ as learners, as students, as those who depend on him for everything. Uh, Lord, we're, we're worn down by life and we live in a world where people are worn down by life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would enable us to find the rest in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask that you would enable others to find the rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to offer to others the same invitation that Christ has offered to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen.